This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. This week we have our last live session from the Catalyst Hub in Worcester. And on this day, Terry, the founder of New Frontiers, shared with us his thoughts and um, methods on team and team leadership. And it's a really, really insightful session that, um, yeah, I think a lot of people got a lot out of. So enjoy it. Well, we've a uh, couple of sessions this morning and uh, I really felt from God, I think, that... Uh, we should try and make the one different, like a meal, like you have a dessert that's different. So this is going to be quite a different kind of thing we're talking about this morning. Uh, and then we've got a Q&A thing uh, as the final session, and that we can draw on maybe things that were said yesterday or today or whatever. So uh, I want to speak this morning, not from a particular Bible text, actually, but I hope what I say is biblical. <laughs> um, and uh, so we still need the Lord's help, okay? So, Lord, we just look to you. And Lord, we just love thinking that wonderful truth that from you are all things, Lord. We thank you that we know who originated, Lord. Thank you for this gift of faith that's delivered us from blindness and darkness and, Lord, obscurity and weirdness, Lord. We thank you that we've come to understand all things are from you. And Lord, we thank you too. We've got a goal and a purpose. To you are all things. Well, it's so wonderful, Lord, to, to know the God who's over everything and the one who's worthy to receive glory and praise and the one who's worthy of all, all the worship that comes to you from all the nations, Lord, people from the Far East, people from the Russias, people from Europe and the Americas, Lord, all our different styles across Africa. And Lord, you're worthy, you're worthy of all the devotion that is brought to you. And Lord, we're so grateful Lord, in our little lives, to recognise such a great one. And, and, and Lord, it's like we've got a, we've got a compass, we've got a, a point to look at. It's you, Lord, and we, we love you so much. We're so grateful. Thank you for this lovely time of being in your presence, of worshipping you and, and singing our love to you, Lord. And Father, we do pray, would you bless us, Lord, as we talk together. Today we acknowledge our dependence upon you, Lord. We say, Holy Spirit, please... Just rest on us now. Come, Holy Spirit. We depend upon you. Uh, Shed light. Give us helpful stuff that we might serve you better, please, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you very graciously in different contexts said, how's it going for you now? Uh, Things are different for you, not leading new frontiers. And And I've often said, I think I miss most of all and it's true, is being in a team. Uh, I, I was in, I guess, three teams. Um, I was in the, the Brighton Church eldership team. Uh, I was in the UK New Frontiers team. And I was in the uh, international New Frontiers team. And I, I loved teamwork. I loved being in a team. It's a massive blessing. The friendships, the working things out together. Uh, It's a great, great joy. And I I want to speak to you about team this morning, really. That's my theme. Um, It's not a Bible word. Uh, You won't find the word team in the Bible, but I think it is a Bible concept and a very important one. And as we serve God, 
I think cultivating team is a very uh, big part of what God has given us to do. It's a safeguard for us. I think that some, I mentioned yesterday, hearing about a lot of pastors who've given up uh, over COVID and so on, but many of them are isolated figures and uh, some denominational structures leave the pastor, this single guy, I think pretty vulnerable. And uh, especially when my background, Baptist, you know, the whole thing's democratic and it's whoever shouts the loudest and gets the votes and stuff. Um, you know, the, the pastor can be a very lonely figure. So team uh, is the answer. And it's, it's the biblical thing. The elders are always plural in the scripture. And as I say, you won't find the word team, but you do find the concept of teamwork. And I've found it a massive blessing uh, over the decades of, of being in team. So uh, just to say a few things. The word team, you need to be a bit careful because there are some things associated with um, you know, a rugby team or cricket team or whatever team um, that don't actually translate. So be, be careful you don't drag everything uh, you know, in a team this, you think, well, hold on, that's not actually a biblical thing. That's about rugby. Um, <laughs> so we need to be a little careful. But nevertheless, the concept of working as a team is a huge, huge blessing. I think we could honestly say, although the word seems a bit inappropriate, it goes back to our Trinitarian God, uh, that it's something really quite profound, uh, that concept of not being isolated. Uh, so... I think it's charismatics, uh, particularly. Probably charismatic church life has celebrated isolated individuals probably more than most have, charismatic leader. Uh, and uh, these, these figures that, uh, you know, they are extraordinarily anointed and can be very isolated and kind of honoured and sometimes gaining power that they're never meant to have. Um, I was struck once, I was uh, just randomly, I was in the USA and I'm randomly, look, you know, I've got the remote control as one does, at least as I do, and uh, channeling, you know, masses of channels. And I stumbled on um, Billy Graham at his moment when he's handing over his private library to become what is now a museum, uh, a, a library museum of, of Billy Graham's ministry. And uh, it, was, it was the occasion when he was doing it. And I didn't know it was happening. I mean, I just literally, oh, look, Billy Graham. And that was what was on. And this dear, extraordinary, wonderful man, this mane of white hair, uh, uh, and uh, uh, getting quite frail, actually. And the platform, uh, the crowd of people, uh, the platform had three former presidents on the platform. I mean, USA presidents. And... Uh, and then George Beverly Shea, who's over 100, came and sang a solo, as he did for decades. And Cliff Burrows came and led the worship. And I thought, wow, these guys are still together. And uh, Wendy read a, a, a book about Billy Graham and said, in the early days, they kind of covenanted together about their conduct and how they would be. And, and, and things about finance, things about counselling women, all sorts of things. They made kind of promises together to one another. And they stuck together as a team for all those years. And, uh, you know, Billy Graham, just, I think, is an amazing hero. Uh, but, you know, he was in a team. And these brothers were still together in a team decades later, decades later. 
And uh, I think it's a hugely important thing. So maybe he was the famous one, but you know, George Beverly Jack was pretty famous too. And uh, Cliff Burrows led those choirs. I remember him at Old Court leading the choirs in 1966. Uh, and you know, all over the world, they were together. So yeah, a team, and I think an important thing. Now we often hear today the word networking. I'm a bit suspicious of it because it means all sorts of things. Uh, people go and play golf because they might network with another guy in business and it could open doors for them. So the word network, it just slightly scares me. Uh, and I think there are all kinds of structures around. You know, when Mark Driscoll came in, um, I mean, he's an incredibly impressive preacher, uh, I think. Uh, uh, a very strange guy as well. And uh, uh, you know, they would talk about the network. But the network didn't have any personal relationships at all. Uh, so to me, some people, oh, Acts 29, very impressive. I wasn't personally very impressed, and especially when he at um, the Brighton Conference, I mean, he preached, I thought, well, from the big platform. In the leaders' seminar, you may have been there, he said outrageous things like, don't make friends with your elders, it's harder to fire them. And we sort of sat there and trembled. Uh, uh, and he told us he was nervous of our use of the word family. He says, that's rather sentimental. It will slow you down. And I, I thought, wow, this guy's got some very different values uh, to us. Because I think relationships and teamwork are hugely important as we press forward. So I think, I think a, a team must have, I think, a leader. Uh, so some people have struggled with the fact, well, there's no phrase in the Bible that talks about the lead elder. I personally have seen people trying to do eldership without a leader, which I've not been impressed with the outcome. I think there does need to be a leader. As he needs a leader, an eldership team needs a leader, I believe. We can talk about this later, if you like, in the Q&A session. An apostolic team will have a team leader, I believe. It's not just a number of apostles coming, finding one another and mutually submissive. People like the phrase mutually submissive, which again I want to cover as we go forward. But I think there has to be someone who is the leader. Even in a husband and wife team, the husband, I believe, is the leader. We know he lays his life down for his wife. But a leader, I think, is important for any team that works. And so for me, I think the leader is one knows he's called. He's got a calling on his life to lead. Now, it's not necessarily that he's called, doesn't feel called necessarily to lead, but he feels called to serve. And I, I think of someone like Nehemiah, for instance. You know, he, he as he goes forward, some of these great, great heroes of the Bible, they do, have, they do have teams. Like Nehemiah had a team of workers. Gideon had a team. David had an army. These guys had teams, but there's the, the name of the guy... Nehemiah was broken-hearted about the state of Zion. The walls were down. The gates were burned. Anyone could walk in and out. There was no definition to the church of God, to the people of God. And it broke his heart. He wept and cried and, 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 and pleaded with God. And, went, and he went out of a sense of calling, and then he became the leader of a, quite a team that worked together. But... It, I don't think he felt necessarily called to be a leader. He just felt called to do this thing that he had to do. And David was anointed by God 
And then people came to David and said, we are yours, O David. And uh, you find he received mighty men, actually. He didn't just receive clones, and we'll come to that as well in a moment. He received mighty men. He wasn't threatened by them. It says he received them. And they came to him and said, we are yours, O David. And, and, and he received them and then gave them, released them into all kinds of ministries that they had. But it, it, I see it as a kind of a team where David was clearly the team leader. Uh, if I'm going to use that word team, as I said, it's not a Bible word, but I'm kind of pushing it into there and saying, yeah, he, he, he led them, but they worked with him. And Paul, Paul gathered a team. He was commissioned to go. And I think that two by two thing was with him. Uh, as Jesus sent them out two by two. Uh, but you'll find it's interesting that uh, it says at first, Barnabas and Saul. It's that when you first come across it, Barnabas and Saul. Then you, you get to, to their ministry in Cyprus, and uh, Paul steps forward a bit. And says, You'll be blind. I think, whoa. And suddenly this guy, his gifting, his calling, becomes apparent. And then from then on, it, it comes Paul and Barnabas. And they, they obviously worked together, but I think somehow the call on Paul gave him that leadership role. And then later Silas, when Paul and Barnabas had their uh, bad moment, uh, it's Paul and Silas. And later he, in, he draws in Timothy. And he's got a whole load of guys, you know, Andronicus and Epaphras and all these different guys who come and go within his team. He's clearly the team leader, but they're with him. And he loves to name them in some of the letters, my fellow labourer, my fellow worker. Um, you know, he, he honours them, he respectfully refers to them. Uh, they're kind of in his team. Now, it looks to me like Apollos isn't necessarily in his team. I urged Apollos to come to you, but he mm, may not come. Uh, it's like, I know Apollos, I honour Apollos, he's somewhere else. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you, they're all yours, he's got this generous heart. Apollos, Paul, they're all Peter, they're all yours. Peter's not in his team. But other guys, he said, I'm sending Timothy. I'm sending Titus. These are guys in his team. And so I think that we need to just see that that is a biblical principle, that there is a team leader. Uh, he has good relationships uh, right across the board. All are yours. You know, Cephas, they're all yours. He's not shutting people out. He's not saying, hey, this is our team. We don't touch other people. God forbid, we don't want that attitude. We believe in the whole body of Christ. We honour people from different teams, different settings. But some people are in Paul's team. And it's important, I think, to see that principle. Now, I just want to kind of get into the chemistry a bit. I was once uh, sitting with uh, some guys that were doing a frontier year. And I sit with them occasionally. And just have a you know sort of question and answer time, and somebody threw a question at me. and said, "What is the vital ingredient of a team leader?" And I never, I didn't even think. I just so, just spoke, <laughs> and I just said vulnerability. And I actually, when I stood back a bit, well, I thought, "No, I do believe that." I think it's important that a team leader knows he's called, but he's not self-sufficient. And that's what, one of the things that makes him a good team leader. A team leader who is vulnerable knows he needs a team. He knows that he's got a perspective 
but other people have got a wider perspective. And, and, and without them, your team will lack those various different dimensions. And I think in an apostolic team, uh, you know, it's so wonderful to have apostolic and, and prophetic and evangelistic and guys who come not only with a different perspective, but a different calling, a different urgency, a different anointing. And that's what makes a powerful team because you have gift, different giftings. And sometimes team leader means I have all the answers. I'm the anointed, I'm the anointed one. Uh, and how dare you have an answer? I, I get the answers. That's how we know it's authentic. It came from me. And uh, that, that is the thing that I was, when I, I felt, no, no, vulnerability, you can be sure you're meant to lead, but you know you need help. And, and I can't thank God enough when I was leading teams of outstanding people that were in the team, outstanding people that made us a strong team together. And, and not to feel threatened when somebody gets the break. It's not like, well, if you want the authentic answer, it's always going to come from the team leader because he's the leader. But a good team, no, no, that guy got the insight. That guy's got the gifting. For me, for instance, leading a team meeting, um, I wasn't terribly skilled at going through agendas. So I mean, at the Brighton Church, I asked a guy called John Hosier, some of you know John, will you lead us through the agenda, please? You know, you'll make sure we get through it. I might not. You know, you've got a very disciplined approach to timing and stuff. Uh, we may miss the boat if I lead this thing. So it's not, I'm, I'm not throwing away my leadership. I'm acknowledging that's not my strength to make sure we get through this. Uh, and I think of Nigel Ring. I think the guy came down from heaven as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and when I first met him, I said, you know, would you please come? and be my administrator. And uh, I said, I don't know quite what's going to happen yet. I just sense, I don't think we'd even come up with the name New Frontiers. I just sense something's going to happen, and that it's going to grow, and I, I, should, I should need an administrator. And I said, I don't know what you'll do, but I need, I need help. And I remember when, when the idea, we used to go to the Dales Bible Week, and Bryn Jones said to me, why don't you do a Bible Week in the South? I thought, do a Bible Week? He said, yeah, you know, you will come up here, you come all the way up through, around London and up, and why didn't you run in the south? I thought, do a Bible week. And I said to Nigel, they said, do a Bible week. He said, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's it, good. You know? <laughs> and, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, he just thought, yeah, that sounds great, we'll do a Bible week. And you're hiring the, the Plumpton racetrack and getting a circus tent and thousands of chairs. and oh, Scares the life out of me. And when we finished only, Nigel said to me, just by the way, uh, did you know, of course I didn't know, there were a thousand job descriptions that made Stonely work. A thousand? I said, yeah, he said that's, that's how it works. We, we had a thousand job descriptions, people doing. And I thought, <laughs> you know, it's another world. Don't even tell me about it. And I, I was once at a conference where I was, in I was a speaker and the guy who ran the whole thing, he and I were having a conversation and we were continually being interrupted by people coming and asking him questions. I mean, he's a great guy, but that never happened to me because I would never have got the answer. <laughs> uh, you know, that I, I just would turn up and preach because I had a phenomenal team. 
And he had teams and teams and teams and teams. And uh, you, you, you don't have to be the guy with the answers to everything. And you don't have to feel threatened because somebody can do it and you can't. Because that's what a team's all about. And sometimes I think a very gifted leader can make other people feel like clones. They're not there to make a team. They're just there to, you know, just to make up the numbers. Because any question, I've got the answer. And uh, it, it just it doesn't promote life. It's just, you know, just getting in line. And sometimes that can be done without realising it's happening. Sometimes it's done forcefully. I heard of a, 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 a guy who... People would never ask questions at all. And then they asked for, like, any questions you want to make, just ask them anonymously. Now, that is a, already, that, you're saying there's danger here, that you have to ask a question anonymously. And people were ask, writing their questions down and put them in the box. And then he went through the box. And then he found one said, who asked this question? <laughs> they are all trembling. Because, and then he was found, he was reprimanded. And, yeah, that's horrific. And that's can so some guys say like, you know, we don't we have a team, but we don't really have a team, because this guy's absolutely running the whole show. And so I honestly want to encourage us, because we must all be in different contexts. That teamwork that works is wonderful. And it's part of the strength of building something for the glory of God, whether that be a local church, whether it be a, a group, whether it be a movement, whatever. That that how teams work together is I think, hugely important. When I became the pastor of the first church I went to, Abba Bible College, I realised I hardly know these people. And, uh, you know, I've just come in, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm still in my 20s, they're kind of in their 50s, and, uh, you know, this has got to work out the chemistry of this thing. I thought Peter Wagner, he said at one point, he said, the danger is they employ you as the witch doctor. And uh, he said, he said, they're the city elders. They run the show. You're the witch doctor. You do the preaching, the baptizing. Uh, you know, you do that stuff. They're running the show. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, come in as the witch doctor. You know, do the religious stuff. They run the city. And I thought, mm, help. Anyway, we, uh, we, I said, Let's, when we have elders meetings, can we, can we have a meal together first? Can we... So what we arranged was when we had elders' meetings, we were in a different home each time, and we had a meal first before we got to the agenda. Because I wanted us to be friends. Because when you come to an agenda, you know, you've come from all sorts of stuff, and you, there's this subject. Well, you all have different opinions about this subject. But if you had a meal together first and chat, chatted about what an excellent football club Brighton are, and things like that. Uh, yeah, whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, you've chatted and been warm and friendly. Now we can go into the agenda, and something of relational strength has started to grow before we get to, hey, what about this subject, which we may have different opinions about. We're building something else first. And that helped us a lot, to get to know one another first, and then to get into something relational. So... It's important, I think, that in honouring teams, team leaders, some of you are team leaders, some of you are in teams. And I don't know you well enough to know who's what. But team leaders need to ask questions and listen to answers 
and affirm people. When people, when another one of the team gets the answer, affirm that. Don't steal it and make it know it was like it was yours. Affirm it. Affirm it publicly before the church. You know, when we were together, so-and-so has this idea. You're, you're helping establish, you're affirming, you're, you're saying these guys are not clones. They're here in their own gifting, their own strength, their own insight, what they bring to the table. We're honouring it, we're affirming it, we're listening to things that, that people have ability to do. So, and for, as I said, in the Brighton Church, John would lead the meeting, the agenda, because he would have it. We did a conference in Europe. I asked Simon Pettit to, to, to put the whole conference together. I felt he would do that far better than I. He would know the themes that would be good to... I didn't feel I would be my strength. So Simon did it. And, and so you're drawing on people's strength and ability, the things they've got to bring. And uh, so I found it very, very... Good. So we mustn't see different views as challenging your right to lead. Sometimes when people differ, um, that can become personal. If, you're not, if you haven't built a relationship, someone, you've got this view, he's got that view. Now we need, to, we need enough relationship to know that doesn't mean he's against me. We, we can be very tender souls if we're not careful. Uh, and we're not able to disagree because um, I might lose his friendship uh, I might lose his affirmation so we, ne- we need to have a team that's robust enough for disagreements to surface and not to feel they're personal it's because when someone disagrees with you two things happen, there's the subject and there's your feelings and if you let your feelings uh, emerge, the subject becomes secondary, he said he, said, he definitely doesn't agree with me and uh, I, I remember when I first uh, got drawn into a, a, again, a very, I was a very young guy at the beginning, and my, my world was very religious, I suppose, really. And I got I, I a guy called John Noble. I was in a group of leaders in London. And, I mean, he just disagreed forthrightly. I thought, man, I've never heard one guy speak to another guy like that before. I was kind of shocked. Then I realized, hey, they can handle this. And I, I, I liked it. I thought, hey, they can really, they can handle quite strong. I've never heard anyone do that because we were too religious to do that. And I thought, well, how strong they are relationally that they can say things to one another quite, quite boldly. And I thought, that is attractive. That's, that, is, that, is, that is a strength to be able to do that, to feel safe enough. And if you don't feel safe enough, there become subjects you don't talk about. You have differences of opinion, but you don't talk about it. And if you're not careful, that it, you know, there might come a dodgy subject in the church. You know, it could be the sound system. But, you know, he is very committed to the sound system. So you can't talk about it. Because if you raise, you raise the PA, he's got very, you know, he knows about electronics, he knows about power, and, and, and that's his subject. And so we all kind of back up because that's his thing and he's not like talking about it. And now that won't work because the PA is no longer the problem. He's become the problem. It's become a relational thing. And so as we grow, we need to, we need to get to the place where, hey, we may need to discuss the PA. How loud it is, how it works. 
And if you can't talk about it because he gets upset, you've lost it. So we've got to work on things that we can talk them through. Now, it may be when you've had your talk, he actually is the guy who understands it better than the rest of us, and we come to peace about it. But if you come to a subject you cannot talk about because he gets upset about it, team's gone out of the window. And we're, we're tiptoeing around whatever the subject might be. And it becomes relational tension. Now, PA is not a relational thing. It's just that people can sometimes get very entrenched about whatever the subject might be. And so learning to be friends who can speak openly, I think is hugely important. And, and I think it, it's something we need to work at, something we need to be able to... See, if, if you can't disagree in the meeting, you'll have other meetings happening in the corridor. Because yes. I I mean, I'm not going to raise it because he gets upset. So, so then you get, when he said this, did you agree? I didn't agree. No, nor did I. Oh, that's what's that? That's that other meeting in the corridor. Because you dare not say it in the room. That's, that's terrible. I, I, want, I, want a, I want a team meeting where there's nothing you can't say. Because if you can't say it, you will say it in the corridor. You will find somebody else who disagrees as well. And then your team begins to get frail. And you get this kind of a team within a team. And that, if, if you can't say it in the room, you will say it in the corridor. Or you'll say it at home. And then you've given your wife a problem. But don't you talk to anybody else about it. So she's the end of the line. She's heard this thing. She's not allowed to say anything to anybody. So you've offloaded some of your burden. And she's got no one to offload because she's not allowed to speak to anybody about it. So, you know, team, you've got to be open, uh, vulnerable, able to talk things out. And that, that is something that needs to be cultivated. It takes time, I think, where we can do that. So we're not uh, uh, undermining one another but we're free to talk things out and come to conclusions. So I think the other thing I would say that I think is hugely important for us is that we're not like a business. We're believers. And so we find one another, I think, in the prayer context, probably more than anywhere else. Because in prayer, if it's honest praying together, and we're friends and we're before God, you're all of our vulnerabilities surface. Because we're all saying, help, Lord. We need you. And I, and I would say that it is a very real danger when we say, oh, we've got a big agenda today. Uh, you know, John, would you just pray for us? And John prays, and right, let's get into the agenda. Now, I, I find that if you come, let's come before God. That's our primary calling as leaders is to be before God on behalf of these people. And so when you really give yourself to worshipping the Lord and being in his presence and just sensing his nearness, all sorts of things happen in our hearts towards him and towards one another. And I would think it's utterly crucial for us to be worshipping, not just asking a list of things, but coming before... We're God's servants. We come before him. We worship him. We celebrate him. As I say, our vulnerability surfaces may be something that is in our hearts that's painful comes to the surface. And I, 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 I gather leaders once a year, I've been doing it for a long time now, uh, and it's a massive privilege, 
uh, the leaders from around the country, different leaders in different churches and different movements. And we were all a bit tentative when we started. Uh, well, just to give the background, I, it was called the Charismatic Leaders Conference, which was in existence when I got filled with the Spirit and, and got invited to attend it. And I started attending regularly and got to know people from around the country. And then gradually, it got, it got a bit difficult because some of the kind of house church leaders, to be honest, the Bible was not taken terribly seriously. And so all kinds of different things were said. I thought, wow, these are on such a different page. I feel unsafe. And uh, sometimes I, I would say something, and, 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 and I'm just quoting the scriptures, and, uh, and they say, oh, you're very opinionated. Which is fair enough. But that's what the Bible said. And that was, that, well, you must listen to the prophets uh, uh, of, of the theatre and the prophets of the man. And, you know, the prophets? It's like, no, it's what the world is saying. And so we, I realised we're on different pages. So I kind of pulled out and I felt God said, no, do you, where do you see me working? And I thought, well, I see guy, that guy, that guy. So I started inviting people and it's grown over the years now. And there's a there's real comradeship amongst these brothers from very different backgrounds. And... Uh, one, at one time, uh, Stuart Bell, you may know Stuart Bell's got a, a church in Lincoln and does a, a big Bible week and stuff, he's a lovely man. And one, one time he was there and his son had a cancerous thing in his eye, behind his eye. And he just shared it in the room. And the, I think it did something to us. We all became vulnerable friends. And I think it was a turning point for us where we all cared about Stuart and his son. And uh, I, I th- something about that crisis drew us closer. Uh, and I think ever since then, you know, Stuart, what's the news of your son who's doing well and so on? But it was, it just made us closer. And, and I think when pe- different people have joined us now, and I think they realise they don't come to a formal fraternal, which I think they get invited to. They come to a group of guys who, although they're from different backgrounds, have become very close friends. Because I think vulnerability was shown, which gave a moment of integration of heart. And I think that, that's a, so that happens in prayer settings, when you're before God. And, that, and that's what the church should be. A team isn't just some formal group, it's not a committee. And it's, it's being it together in prayer that I think lifts it to another dimension. And that's, that is fundamental to us and it makes us unique, that we're, we're people under God. Uh, and sometimes I remember with the, uh, I think it was probably with the UK and uh, New Frontiers team, we would sometimes have praying, worshipping and prophesying. And, and I, sometimes we stopped praying. We, and, and we used to talk about, it's like a prophetic conversation. With that, the, we came up with that phrase. With Dave D and different ones around the room, we, we talk it and we say, I'm thinking, are you still prophesying or are we talking or what is this? And, and a real sense God is with us here now. Now to me that is the unique privilege of charismatic team. There is a supernatural dimension that let, lets all these other dimensions really work. And there's something that's happening that's beyond just agendas and lists and what are we doing this week kind of thing. And uh, I mean, it was into that kind of context that God spoke to us about closing Stonely, which was a huge thing to do. But it was in that kind of comradeship and openness to the prophetic. And 
And so God was coming in. Now, we had an agenda, but we're before God. And I think that teams find their fellowship in that kind of setting. So I want to encourage that, that make, make praying together. Even if they say, oh, have we got time to pray? Hey, you haven't got time not to pray. Uh, so we, we gather in the presence of the Lord. And into that context, we get, I think, clarity about what God wants us to do. Just one or two practicalities and... Uh, uh, I think I've shared my heart mostly from what I've been saying. Again, we might be able to do some Q&A later. I think we want real kind of commitment. This is what we want, this is what we want to be together. Expression of commitment. Uh, and then, you know, with certain things we, we want. So like timekeeping. You know, that, that just to be mature about it. We say we're going to start at such and such. We're going to do it. And so unless there's some sort of crisis, we'll be there. We don't get used to, you know, Charlie, he turns up half an hour late always. And we just get used to that. No, no, let's say that we said we want to do this. So certain things, it's like, are phones on or off? And it's just modern world. Oh, sorry, I've got a call. Hold on. Oh, is, that, is that something we've... I think it's good to chat about that, that when we come together, are phones on or off? What are we saying? We might have to say, listen, brothers, this week you just need to know, you know, my kid's being called, he's in hospital, my phone is on. So I think without that kind of conversation, we just get on one another's nerves. If, if, oh, there goes his, there goes his phone again. We lost him for the next 10 minutes. It's just practical stuff that helps it work. So we might say, to, let's talk about it. Uh, when we go, well, shall we say phones are off then? Or we say, oh, no, we don't care. Whatever you want, but let's agree. Let's agree. Now we're here for this. So let's all turn our phones off or on silent, whatever. Because we're here for we're here for God, we're here for one another. Or maybe look, listen tonight, brothers, I need to have my phone on because there's a crisis. So we're all in the light, we know what we're doing together. There's this kind of uh, agreement about it. And I think other things like finance. Um when he does that, do we cover his expenses? Oh, he took it for granted, we'd agree. No, we hadn't talked about that. I, I think niggling things can creep in if we haven't talked them out. Uh, how come he gets his expenses covered? We don't get ours covered. So whatever, these, these are just practical things to, to talk them out, fellowship, so that we have real openness, real friendship, closeness, and then, and then I think, when we have discussions, there may be debate. And, and, and it may be we, we, you know, we, I, we kind, of, kind of want to come to agreement to something before we make a decision. And I think we might want to give time to that if we are, if we are on a different page. And, and we've reached, we talked about it, we haven't reached a conclusion yet. Because, well, we haven't all agreed this thing yet. So, okay, let's, lay, let's wait a little longer. We need, maybe need to pray about this. We'll come back to this next time. Uh, so we don't force the issue through. We'll come back to it next time. But then ultimately, we, we make a choice. We make a decision. And it may be at some point, the leader has to say, look, I'm sorry, we've got to make a decision on this. Uh, this is what we're going to do. That sometimes is the leader's call. 
I think most leaders want to have unity of purpose and decision making. Sometimes the leader has to say, look, we talked, we talked, we still not, we've decided this is what we're going to do. And I think that at that moment, we all agree. At that moment, we say, okay, that's it. That, that is our decision. That's what we're going to do. And when the decision is made, that we stand by that. That's what we said we do together. And I think it's in the pressures of team that you, that you hold that kind of ground. Because that's where teams become, can begin to hit problems and people backing off one another. So I think you need to have a chemistry where we understand that when the decision is made, we stand by it. And it's almost like we mustn't leave things ambiguous. I thought you said this. Uh, no, no, I said that. Now, I think it's almost good at the end of a team meeting to say, now what did we decide? You know, and, and whoever's making notes. And when, we, when I first started, I was as green as grass, I hadn't got a clue. We weren't keeping minutes or anything. And I remember Nigel Ring came and said, who keeps minutes? And I said, uh, minutes? What's minutes? You know, like, <laughs> I needed an administrator. So what decisions did we make today? You know, this is what we said we would do. So when we gather next time, you know, how did that go? So there's some degree of accountability. And I was so naive, I hadn't led anything before. And, and so, yeah, we, okay, this is what we decided. What have we done? So there is a degree, you know, we've got accountability. Oh, I thought you said, no, 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 that's what we said. Have you done the thing that you said you'd do? And if we can't talk things like that out, our teams get very frail. And so I think it's important to have uh, decisions without ambiguity. We know what we said, and we work, we work towards it. And, and we, we, we say, well, this is what we agreed today. And, and so that there is commitment to that. Now, one doesn't want to keep on over. I know a guy, a very dear friend of mine, actually, but he began to be always looking for a fresh expression of commitment. And in the end... Because he high, highly valued some of the things I'm talking about, he called the whole church to express commitment to the church every year. I want you all to express your commitment again. It's almost like a commitment Sunday. We're all going to say we're committed. And it just became oppressive because these people were committed up to their eyebrows. But he was still saying, I want you to express it. I want you to express it. And it was, it was crushing people. And it really destroyed things. So, yeah, we're looking for corporate commitment, but we're not looking for harsh overstatement of covenant commitment. I think that that can tie knots in people. People are almost into another covenant that's not really a biblical covenant, but they've, they've done something in their soul that can harm them. I've had to help people who, having been in that, later walked away from that, and they've got horrible kind of conscience stuff. I made a covenant and it went bad and I felt I couldn't stay there any longer. But they need help. Because I think commitment has become overstated. It was to a kind of spiritual thing. Over overstated that. I hope I'm making myself clear. So to me, these things are important. So for me, just to wind up, that prayer is the centre Vulnerability is expressed there. We are committed to a vision together. There is something God's called us to do and be. And we want to keep that before us all the time. 
that other things might become quite important at a certain moment. I remember when uh, we gave up Stonely Bible Week and the people who run Spring Harvest called me, can we come and see you? I said, sure. And they came and sat in my office and they said, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. That was the phrase he used. He said, are you stopping Stonely? And I said, yeah, we are. And uh, he got, <laughs> and so Spring Harvest is what they were. I said, I said, Stonely is not who we are. Stonely is something we do. And we're not going to do it anymore. It's not who we are. We've got a vision to plant churches. We've got a vision and so on. So I think keep the vision clear. What is the actual calling? And, and, and to work to our vision, working with faith, finding faith in one another, ownership together. So for me, team is very powerful and it's worth working at to get it right because isolated leaders can get picked off and they don't benefit from the breadth of gifting. Um, I know we, we had a guy called Mike Springer who was on our team, who's an evangelist. I know sometimes you just kind of squeal and say, what about the loss? He said, oh, sorry, Mike. Sorry. And uh, it's this evangelistic passion would suddenly burst out. And, uh, you know, you needed that. We needed that. We needed his angle, his perspective. And, uh, I mean, we should all be feeling that, but he felt it more keenly than we did. And, and we benefited from his, his spiritual, motivational gift that wasn't being satisfied in the way we were working at the moment. Uh, and so, wow, what a blessing that was uh, to wake up to that. And, uh, you know, you, for us, we got this prophetic word from, from Simon Pettit, what about the poor? Wow, we kind of, we were blind. And he opened our eyes. So the, the gifts, the different gifts, make us a, a, a strong team uh, because different people get different passions and they add a dimension that does something good for us. Mm-hmm.